Well, good morning again. Welcome to Trinity. We are delighted to be gathering together here in person. And for those who are watching online, uh, what a joy and privilege it is that we get to sing and to pray and to get to hear from God's Word. We are beginning a series today in the book of Revelation, which should be easy for all of us in here, no matter how familiar we are with the Bible, to find it. It's the very last one, the very last book of the Bible. And so if you have a Bible, please turn to Revelation as we start out a series, Lord willing, that will take us into the summer next year with some breaks for Advent and Easter area and so forth. We're going to take time to dig into this, to be encouraged by it, to see its relevancy for our lives right now. And so my hope is that our series here on the return of the King would be a great encouragement for us in the here and now and how we live. Depending on how familiar you are with this last book of the Bible, some of it's pretty crazy. And when we get into those crazy moments, we will do our very best to make sense of them. But hopefully, this message this morning will set the foundation for how we will address those crazy things. Let's take a moment and read verses 1 through 4 of this opening chapter. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who, wa- who is and who was and who is to come. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, we pray that you would do a good work in our hearts right now, that you would help us to see our king reigning and ruling and one day returning, that that would be a great encouragement for our soul, our faith to keep living for Him, living for our King. God, would you do that work in our hearts as we approach this book of the Bible, as we approach this series. May you be glorified, may Christ be exalted in our hearts, and may our lives be strengthened and transformed uh, by your grace and goodness and power. So be with us as we hear, receive, believe, and trust your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Revelation, this last book of the Bible, is not a puzzle to solve. It's not. It's a picture to behold. That approach is drastically important to get into our heads and to our hearts. We're not trying to solve a cipher to better understand things. We're actually beholding a picture that will give us great courage in our lives. When I heard those words many years ago, my apprehension and confusion associated with this last book of the Bible really started to disappear once I started to understand that this isn't a puzzle that I need to solve, but a picture I need to behold 
It helped ease my heart and actually spurred my heart all the more toward worship. Way more than I could have ever anticipated. And I am hopeful for the same for you because we have quite a picture to behold. We have quite a picture to see in these pages. And one of the main overwhelming pictures that we get to behold is our King Jesus. That He is reigning, that He is ruling, and that He is one day returning. And because Jesus is the returning King, you and I, we who have faith and trust and hope in Christ, we are encouraged to keep holding on in our nows, no matter what our now might be. I'll say that again. Because Jesus is the returning King, we, who have faith in Him, are encouraged to keep holding on. No matter what. No matter the circumstance, the situation, the challenges, the things that we face in this life, the turmoil we feel in our hearts, no matter what, keep holding on. He's coming back. He's the King. He will undo all that has been broken. He will restore all that has been wrecked. He will make all things new. Don't lose sight of how great our King is. As we start off this series, we see that it is, if anything, a revelation of the King, a unveiling, a revealing of the King. And as we begin this this series, this, the structure for this particular sermon could really be helpful grid for us as we go about the book is that the revelation of the king calls us to behold and believe. Behold and believe. Behold the king and believe him. Keep believing him. And no, I'm not going to put the song in your head. You know it's right there. I could say it. And that song will be stuck in your head to encourage you to not give up believing. See, I'm not even going to say it exactly as it's going to get lodged into your head. But behold and believe. The revelation of our King calls us to behold and believe. So let's get some bearings The opening verses will help us have these bearings. Let's get some bearings on beholding. So we're going to approach Revelation, and we need to get some basic info before we start digging in further. Basic info as we approach Revelation, as we behold what we find here. First of all, who wrote it? Well, the Apostle John wrote it. Verse 9 of chapter 1, we didn't read it, but, but here we have finally John introducing himself, and he says, I, John your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos. So we see that the Apostle John, he didn't qualify who he is. John, everybody kind of knew who John was in the early church that first century. 
He could say, I'm John, and we, we all knew who he was. He didn't have to say, I'm John, so-and-so, from here and there and everywhere else, and you may have heard me, and you may have learned of me in my first letter that I wrote. No, he didn't have to do that. People knew immediately who wrote this, the Apostle John. Then he said there in that verse that he was on the island of Patmos. The island of Patmos was essentially Alcatraz-like. It was an rocky island that was a prison. He was there because of his faith and his ministry and his work as the apostle and, and, and leading the church. And so he was there during a more intense time of persecution that was occurring toward the end of the first century. So when did he write this? Well, the best uh, sort of range would be around 96 A.D., the emperor at the time was increasing and a more widespread persecution of the church. And John was certainly a target to muffle. And he was muffled, so to speak, uh, by being put on this island, this rocky Alcatraz. And that's where he wrote it and about the time in which he wrote it. When did he, or to whom did he write this? Well, we saw in our passage that we that he wrote it to the churches in Asia, or Asia Minor. And there were seven churches listed. And we'll find those churches listed in chapters 2 and 3. But those seven churches, that's, there's something very important already stated in, just even in that. The seven churches in Asia Minor, which is roughly modern-day Turkey, thereabouts, give or take a little bit. Those seven churches were the major churches of that region, and they formed a geographical circle. So you get this idea, this visual of seven, which in the Bible has a very important symbolic meaning, uh, meaning completeness or wholeness. You have these seven churches that form a circle, so you, it's just double downing on the completeness and the wholeness. So it's important to see that there are seven very specific churches that receive this letter it's also, though, symbolically referring to the whole church. And we will get into those kinds of things as we move through this letter. That's just the basic info. The Apostle John wrote it from prison on a rocky island toward the end of the first century to these seven churches and to the church as a whole at large for its encouragement. But what are we looking at? In this letter, Revelation is very unique. If you're familiar with the Bible, you've probably looked toward the end, right? You get a book and you want to know how it ends. So you probably look there and, you, and if you're newer or unfamiliar with the Bible and you started flipping through there, you're like, wow, this gets really weird fast. What do I do with this? And, and so you're, you're looking at it and you may be feeling like this is very unique. This is not like reading Joshua. This isn't like reading Psalms. This isn't like reading John's gospel account. This isn't like Romans. This is very, very unique. And if you're super familiar with the Bible, you know that it is indeed very, very unique. This is a, a book in the Bible that is made up of three genres into one. It's almost like its own thing. Its own thing. Three kinds of writings are intertwined together, making a new chord, a new strand, if you will, of a genre. And it's very important that we understand that. Because as you and I know, the kind of book that you're reading will have an impact on how you go about understanding it. 
If you were to open up in the Old Testament and read Joshua, you would know that that's historical narrative. And as you're reading through a historical narrative, you know you're getting stories. So you have to read for chapters upon chapters to see the whole scope of the story to understand what's going on and how it applies. Or if you open up your Bible to Psalms or Ecclesiastes, you know that this is poetry. This is Old Testament Hebrew poetry. You're not going to read it exactly like you do Joshua. Or if you open up to Romans and you know that you're reading a letter that Paul the Apostle is giving this very incredibly detailed unpacking of a theological understanding of God and our salvation and how that applies. So you read that letter in a very specific way. What do we do here? What do we do here? Well, it's important that we understand what it is that we're looking at. So there are three genres in one. The first thing that we note is that it is what is called prophetic, and we should have that on the screen. Prophetic. Look again at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So, we find that that revelation is self-identifying as a, as a book that is filled, or a letter that is filled with prophecy, that it has a prophetic aspect to it. There are a few things that we need to keep in mind when we read something that is prophetic in its content. There are some features. First is, it's a prophetic literature in the Bible has direct revelation from God to give to the people. We find that throughout Revelation. Direct revelation from God to give to the people. And with prophetic literature in the Bible, we find that it calls people to action. To change, bringing about encouragements for that and warnings against it. And then we find that it, what we might immediately think of when we think of prophetic literature, that it speaks to the things that are yet to come. That's an aspect of prophetic literature. But the other two are just as important. Direct revelation from God to the people and encouragement and warning that come with that. So that's one thing of the that's one strand of this new strand that is revelation. It's important that we know these things. The second one is it's apocalyptic. Funny word. Apocalyptic. The very first verse of Revelation 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants. The word revelation is actually coming from the Greek word that we have for apocalyptic. And there's something important about that. Well, one, it's an unveil, it means it's unveiling, it's a, it's a revealing, but it's got a very intense thing about what it's unveiling and re- revealing. Apocalyptic literature is, is kind of a subset of prophetic literature, but it, it's a little more intense. It's, it has a very important origin, the divine throne room of God. It has a very big, grand scope to its message. Its scope is on the bigness of the message. It has within it super intense symbolism that comes with it. And then, fourthly, it is about the very end. It's not just about things yet to come. It's about the very end. And so we certainly find these features at play within this letter. 
which then leads us to the third strand of this unique letter that you have in the Bible, and that's just that. I keep saying it. It's a letter. And that's important. That's very important for us as we come about understanding Revelation. Look at verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. This is a letter to the churches, just like other letters in the New Testament. Revelation has all the characteristics of a letter. It has an introduction, a body, a conclusion, has a direct audience, and it has a very specific purpose. So as we go about approaching this letter together in this series, we need to keep those things in mind. And we understand what it is that we are looking at. At least understand what some of those key features are as we go about making sense what we're looking at. So that's us approaching Revelation. So, so let's dig in a little bit more on what are we beholding here. What we see in the opening words of this letter set a trajectory of what we're going to find and what it means for us. What we see, it's going to set this trajectory. And, and there are three things to behold in the opening of this letter that we are going to be beholding throughout it. This is very important for us. Number one, the supremacy of the king. Like there is no doubt who is in charge. Who is overall. The supremacy of the king. Again, the first verse, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. The opening words put us in the context of King Jesus, reigning, ruling, one day returning. He is over all. We get to see the king over all, we get to see King Jesus here. We get to see his divine authority. We get to see the bigness of God over all of history, over all of the cosmos, over everything. And we get it all here just in the opening words, and we will see it on display throughout the entirety of this letter. We'll come back around to why these things that we're beholding matter so much for us. Keep this in mind. We are seeing the supremacy of the king. Secondly, we find that we are finding here the certainty of the message. That this is certain. Nothing is hanging in the balance. There isn't any sort of debate how this is going to go. That being the end of all things and the making new of all things. There's no uncertainty here. Again, verse 1, what is this message that's coming? To show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Not maybe. God isn't in the business of maybe. He's in the business of musts. This will unfold. Jesus reigns and will return. And when he returns, it's not like, hey, maybe our team will win. No, there's nothing hanging in the balance. There is no doubt. No doubt when the king announces what will be. 
Thirdly, what are we beholding here in the opening and throughout the letter? The supremacy of the king, the certainty of this message. And thirdly, the relevancy for our lives. The relevancy of it right now. This very moment in your very life right now. Verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Whatever it is that will unfold in this letter, it is for our good right now. It's for our good right now. It means something to our lives Right now, we are to be blessed. That is, happy, hopeful confidence in our lives by taking time to better know and understand and grasp what we are beholding here in Revelation. It is relevant to our lives now. Supremacy of the King, certainty of the message, the relevancy for our right now. That is what you and I get to behold in this last book of the Bible. We get to behold this. And that beholding is to spur our hearts all the more to believe. To believe in this King. To trust Him and to keep on trusting Him. To not turn away in the midst of all the situations and hardships and challenges of this life. It's comforts, it's distractions, it's discouragements. To keep on believing The king is reigning and ruling and returning. That he is supreme. He is sufficient. That he does win. That we encourage each other all the more to keep holding on. So now let's consider believing. The revelation of the king calls us to behold and also believe. Again, revelation means unveiling, not hiding, God's not hiding or or making it super cloudy in in some sort of crazy puzzle that you have to to figure out. It's not like God gave us a 10,000-piece box puzzle but left the lid with Him. Who does that? Shame on you if you do that to other people. As if that's some sort of appropriate gesture. That's not kindness or friendship. That's being a jerk. Don't send... (laughs) A puzzle to someone without the box. Sorry. Believing means God is unveiling for us to see that there is a profound purpose for this letter. There is a threefold purpose all wrapped up together. John is delivering in this letter. One, to encourage believers. Revelation is ultimately, if you call yourself a Christian, you have faith in Christ, this last book of the Bible is for your encouragement. Encouragement of your faith. It's for your encouragement. That means then it's relevant. It's relevant. Secondly, it's to warn others. Don't play church. Don't get all distracted. 
Don't get discouraged in such a way that you bail on it all. Don't. Don't bail on the king. He's reigning, ruling, and he's returning. So part of this is, yes, situations around you could be intense and challenging, but don't bail. The king isn't bailing on what he's doing. Don't bail. So it's a warning. It's an encouragement. It's a warning. And it does that encouraging and does that warning by the third aspect of this threefold purpose, and that is to show Jesus wins. Why are you encouraged? Why are you warned? Because Jesus wins. Jesus wins over all sin. Jesus wins over all death. Jesus wins over all enemies, evil, spiritual, all of them, even the worst of them. Jesus wins. Keep holding on. Don't bail. Jesus wins. Believers can hang on and press forward even in the midst of persecution because justice will indeed come. God will be glorified through salvation and also through judgment. Now, I'm going to give you an interpretive key. Please don't lose these words. I'll bring them up again and again in this series. Do you want a key that helps unlock understanding of this letter in the last of the New Testament? Well, here it is. The interpretive key to better understand and apply revelation to our lives. Life is hard. Evil is real. God is in control. Jesus wins. So hold on. There's your key. Are there going to be some strange things that people have different conclusions on in this letter? Yes. We're talking about things yet to come. We're talking about things that are going to be all wrapped up at the very end. So no one is going to necessarily have sort of the market cornered on and knowing exactly, precisely what those are speaking exactly, precisely to. Marty McFly is not going to walk in here with information about what the very end looks like for us. That being said, when we get through diff- into difficult, challenging parts of this letter, that key needs to be, you need to bring that key back out. Life is hard. Revelation is going to show you that. Evil is real. Revelation is going to show you that. God is in control. Revelation is going to show you that. Jesus wins. Revelation is going to show you that. So, together, we can hold on. We can hold on. That's our call. Hold on. Don't lose that key. Don't lose it. We need it. That's how we can best understand what we are going to read and consider in this series. Now, there are a couple of things that I'm going to be approaching this that might be different than what you're accustomed to. Some look at Revelation and apply it to the past only. They think that the events that are taking shape in this have to do with the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD and the temple getting destroyed. They see an only past aspect. Others see Revelation as a future only. 
that it's only dealing with something not yet to come, that, that doesn't really have any bearing on our lives right now. It's a future-only kind of a thing. And this just sort of gives us a little bit of a teaser to that. I'm approaching it not as a past-only or future-only. I'm approaching this letter as a relevant now. That the things that we read and hear matter to our lives Right this very second, right now, to your faith and to the encouragement of that faith to keep holding on. I feel confident to take that approach because in verse 4, Jesus is described as the one who is and who was and who is to come. So there's relevancy for us, no matter which age of the church we are in, revelation matters now. So that's a sense of going about applying this. We want to apply the encouragement that this letter is giving to us in the midst that life is hard, evil is real, God is in control, Jesus wins, so hold on. And our call to behold the King and to believe Him is because it is Christ at the center of our encouragement. Look again at verse 2. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant John. God's making it known. Again, unveiling. Who bore witness. John bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Even to all that he saw. Testimony of Jesus Christ. It's not testimony about Jesus Christ. It's actually the testimony belonging to Jesus Christ that Jesus, King Jesus, is sharing. So we are called to behold and believe King Jesus. He's sharing with us through the word his encouragement for us in the midst of a hard world, reality of evil, that God is in control, that Jesus indeed wins so we can hold on. Just like For those who are familiar with the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, when Mr. Beaver says Aslan is on the move, Revelation says to us, King Jesus is on the move. So hold on. This is a witness account meant to encourage the church. Jesus is the king who wins. So believe. So believe. So I'm going to circle back to those supremacy of the king, certainty of the message, relevance now. And say this, what are we to believe? Well, we're to believe King Jesus in the face of all of our struggles. Believing in the face of struggles. As we behold King Jesus, the call will be to believe him in the face of struggles. Life is indeed hard, but behold the King and believe. Maybe for you right now, there are circumstances around you or in you that seem so overwhelming for you right now. And you may be waning in strength and hope and joy. And so I want to say to you, in the midst of your struggles, as we come to Revelation, we are not trying to solve a puzzle. We are beholding a king who reigns and rules and who will undo all that sin has brought 
into our lives and into this world. So even in the midst of your struggles, especially in the midst of those struggles, especially in the midst of fighting sin that sort of just tangles up in your heart or fighting through the consequences of sin of others done to you, as you feel that struggle, King Jesus wins. Behold Him. Behold Him. And believe in the face of struggle. Secondly, as we behold the king called to believe, believing in the face of opposition, believing in the face of all kinds of opposition, because guess what? Evil is real. Evil is real, but behold the king. He wins. And believe, even in the face of evil. Revelation reveals the reality of spiritual warfare and opposition. And gives us the the picture of God's ultimate judgment and justice over that opposition. But it also is is overwhelming for us to see the picture of the the scope of evil. It's cataclysmic in its its power. It's it's overwhelming for us in our just individual lives and our lives together collected as this church. Evil is a lot bigger of an opposition than you and I could ever possibly dare to dream. We We would just melt in the face of some of the evil that we see on the pages of Revelation. Yet, it's a word from our king, and evil loses. So, even when the opposition to our faith, maybe the opposition to you personally, because you are a Christian, whether that's in your family, your workplace, where you live and play, whatever those things might be, the opposition may seem overwhelming to you. And it is. And it is. But the king overwhelms all that opposes him. So keep believing. Keep believing in the face of opposition. And then thirdly, not only are we called to believe in the face of struggles and to believe in the face of opposition, we can believe in the face of uncertainty. God is in control. Behold the king who is over all and believe. The last 20 months have been difficult beyond compare for many of us. Yet, nothing hangs in the balance. Nothing of the last 20 months or the next 20 months or the next 20 years or the next 20 decades or the next 20 millennia, who knows? Nothing is going to surprise God. Nothing's going to, oh, whoa, how do I handle this? God isn't going to ever feel that way. He is in control. These opening words of this letter, set us on the trajectory to see this played out. And Revelation is a revealing that God is very much in control. 
and that Jesus wins, and that you and I can be encouraged to hold on. So together, why don't we labor and encourage each other as we go through this letter to behold the story of the king who reigns and rules and is one day returning for his people. And together, as we consider these things, let us be an encourager to one another to keep on believing in the king we are beholding because he wins. So let us Hold on. He's coming. He's coming soon. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would indeed do that good work in our hearts. That you would help us in the face of struggles and opposition and uncertainty. Know and see here in the pages of this wonderful, incredible, encouraging letter. That you are in control. That you are overall. And that Jesus is reigning and ruling and returning. And that, for us, means everything. Oh God, would you encourage our faith. Strengthen us. Care for us. Mend our hearts so that we can believe in the face of struggles and opposition and uncertainty. God, thank you so much for this letter. I'm so grateful that it is in your word to us. And I pray that it is indeed a timely encouragement for us all. We ask this in Christ's name, for his glory, our King. Amen.